This is Cade Massey, practice professor at the Wharton School. On this week's highlight show, we talked to longtime friend of the show, Bill Conley. Bill is a college football analyst. This day after the college football playoff semifinals, we talk college football and forecasting and storytelling and the matchup in the title game between Michigan and Washington with our longtime friend, Bill Conley. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome to the first episode of 2024 on Wharton Moneyball. This is Cade Massey hosting this bright and beautiful Tuesday morning with my longtime friend and colleague, Shane Jensen. We are standing in for the full group. Adi and Eric are out doing Adi and Eric thing. They'll be back. They will be back. But on this first day of 2024 and after a couple weeks absence, we figured we'd just settle in and talk a little football, both varieties of a of North American football, both college and pro, because there is so much going on right now. Um, and to do to do that, we've, we're bringing in a couple of guests. We've got guests on both halves of t- today's show, this week's show. A little unusual that we bring in a guest on the first half, but we thought, what the heck? We just watched some spectacular entertainment yesterday in college football world after a fun few weeks and at near the end of a spectacular season. So we'll indulge a little extra Bill Conley. How does that sound to you guys? A little extra Bill Conley. <laughs> Anyone ever turned down a little extra Bill C? I assume so. Uh, <laughs> through the years, I'm pretty sure. Yes. I, somewhere, that's somewhere that's happened. Case. That's right. All right, Bill. Hasn't happened around here. And we're- you can't account for everybody's taste out there. That's right. <laughs> So we're gonna we're gonna talk with Bill C here in just a minute. You guys can reach us on uh, Twitter is probably the best way at W Moneyball as our Twitter handle at W Moneyball. We follow all of our guests. We tweet occasionally about the world of sports, sports analytics. We'd love to hear from you. Give us feedback. Give us questions. Give us suggestions. Give us criticisms. Whatever you got, we're interested. At W Moneyball is our handle on Twitter. Our guest today is active on Twitter. You can find him. Uh, ESPN underscore Bill C. I'm guessing is the is the yep. handle. Do I have that right? At ESPN underscore Bill C. Bill is a staff writer at ESPN. Now he gets he gets kind of the front page treatment at ESPN for all matters college football, which is <laughs> just wonderful. He is the creator of S and P Plus. I think I have to call that something else now that he is the ESPN. But we're going to keep on calling it S and P Plus. Maybe it's supposed <laughs> to be SP Plus or something. Yeah, um, cease and desist on that uh, ampersand there. Okay, no uh, ampersands. You know, no, Bill, right. Bill C without the ampersand. <laughs> Bill has been at the forefront of college football analytics for a big part of his career, and wonderfully has advanced the conversation. You hear all kinds of people now reference that and. That's making people smarter. We always enjoy talking to Bill. Bill, I got so much. I got so much. I got so much. Uh, I could, I could ramble with you for a while. We let's just see if we can figure out um, what makes sense to us today. Just got to get your reactions. I'm sure you watched six plus hours of college football yesterday. It did not disappoint. How did you when you woke up this morning? When you went to bed last night? What were you thinking about? <laughs> Well, you know, Iowa, Tennessee disappointed. I think that's safe to say. But um, oh, I'm sorry, there was other there were other games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a particularly dicey bowl season in that regard. We still got some good ones, obviously, but uh, I guess the important news is that the big two were both very, very good. Second straight year, actually. I actually, for my takeaways piece uh, this morning, I was I realized I can now actually complete a ten best games of the playoff era list oh. because we've had like eleven good games now in in ten years. <laughs> 
years. The other, the other 18, not so much, but you know, we're, we've got 11, so we can make a list out of that now. There's a top third. Okay. Well, uh, we're about to be given more choices going forward. So we're going to get some, yeah. we're going to get some more games and we should acknowledge there were other bowl games. I am totally that person this year who had a team in the final four and kind of neglected the rest. Plus <laughs> with the four and with the opt out, um, overtaking the sport the rest of the college football games do really change in character than they used to be and it's only going to become more that way with the bigger with the bigger playoff field in the future but bill we have to say congrats on the cotton bowl win you <laughs> wanted ohio state you got ohio That's state right. and y'all took care of ohio state quarterback or no quarterback y'all took care of ohio state so congrats on that yeah that was um it took the third stringer i think if devin brown's in there well i don't know it would have been it would have come down to the wire i think if devin brown was hadn't gotten hurt in the first quarter but um yeah no it was it was i mean it's fun look the the guys on the field really care especially for games like that especially for teams like missouri and ole miss and and some of the teams that aren't there every year um you know i think that's the main takeaway from bowl season this year especially is a lot of these a lot of these coaches a lot of these teams figured out like okay we're missing player a b and c uh, but we're going to have 11 guys on the field trying to beat the, the 11 guys on the other side. Let's just, let's go about it. It's it's not going to be very helpful for predictive uh, ratings yeah. systems yeah. Yeah. Uh, because this isn't going to be the same team you just saw for 12 games. But, you know, when both teams cared and when both teams weren't so handicapped by opt-outs that they were, you know, playing their third string against Georgia, for instance, yeah. um, we still got a, a good number of good games, even if they weren't all quite good. Well, um, I mean, Missouri had a great season and Missouri yeah. is not, I don't think what most people think about when they think about the SEC and yet they've really done quite well. There are a number of programs who would take Missouri's record um, since they joined the conference and, um, and we're back at the same conference now, Bill. So we'll talk more rivalry, right. Missouri, Texas. I know you love those Texas games uh, in the future, <laughs> um, but you just talked about predictions and that's really what I've been thinking about that. And I think, I mean, we all, all of us, Shane's in the business, you're in the business, I'm in the business, making predictions. And I, you know, I think people who don't do it as much may not understand why we care so much. It's because it, it tests your understanding of the game. Yeah. Like you can't make good predictions unless you understand the game, whatever your prediction world is, financial markets, politics, or college football. And the way to, test your understanding because we all think we know a little something is to okay make your prediction and then keep track of it and make enough of them to build up a record and oh and by the way it changes over time and so just when you think you have enough to understand uh you need to keep on going because the world shifted so this this playoff year was a particularly rich one because the four teams all had a reasonable chance so we, we traded text over the holidays bill says he's had a have a hard time coming up with who he thinks is going to win the thing because you can kind of make a case for anybody. And it made for fascinating analysis. And what it jumped out to me most, and this is kind of what I want to hear from you guys about, is that there was so much storytelling about what was going to happen. And I come from this tradition in psychology, decision-making tradition in psychology that is super skeptical of these stories. It goes back to Robin Dawes and the robust beauty of linear models. You don't need fancy models to predict well. In fact, generally, the simpler model, the better your predictions. And yet humans don't work that way. Humans like complicated, colorful, twisty, interesting stories. And you give people three weeks to look at a couple of interesting matchups. And oh, my goodness gracious, we're going to hear some stories. And I think there's, I think this might have been, here's a claim, peak college football storytelling. We just hit peak 
college football storytelling because we're never again going to have three weeks to stare at the matchups. It's never you're never going to have this much time. We've heard maximum number of stories per game. We've just come through it. And the reason I'm belaboring this is I want to know what we've learned, what we've learned <laughs> about good stories, BS stories. What stories about these two matchups after the fact do we think we're actually good? What were pretty compelling but proved to not be very good? And how in the forecasting business, we kind of have to tell stories. It's not, you know, you and I have learned, Bill, hard, hard, hard lessons. <laughs> People don't want to just know numbers. They'll listen to your numbers much more readily and for a longer period of time if you've got a story behind them. And so you, you, people in your business, you've got a model. Bill's got a model. He's going to sell you numbers. But he realizes to sell you numbers, he's got to tell a story around those numbers. And by the way, that means Bill's gotten to know football much better over the last 10 years. He goes and talks to freaking coaches in their offices in the offseason, and he can talk in detail now. But it's all elaborating his fundamental model, and he revises his model as a result anyway. We have to learn to tell stories, but we have to tell stories that are more likely to be true. What have we learned, Bill? What have we learned about <laughs> storytelling and forecasting? What is, what's it, what, through that lens, how do you interpret what we just saw yesterday? Well, I didn't feel pretty good about the fact that, you know, it took overtime, uh, but people did notice that SP Plus had Michigan winning by nine and they won by seven. Uh, so that was, that was good. <laughs> I, it was it was interesting, though. This, That's a different topic, Bill. That's know, luck. That's the topic of luck. <laughs> I, well, you know, it took it took 3,800 special teams miskeys for them to not win by 14 in, in That's regulation. Right. That's but right. That's anyway, right. but no, I think um, this was a nice reminder. The Alabama-Michigan game, it was funny, the more time – we went without a game, the more people seem to be reverting to this is old Alabama versus this is old Michigan. Uh, the Michigan that got blown out by Georgia a couple of years ago, that's this Georgia, or this, that's this Michigan and Alabama, they just beat Georgia. It's the same old Alabama. And as it turned out that the sample size of like two games that people were drawing that from the sample size of the 2023 regular season meant a lot more. And the fact that Michigan was superior and it really did take some, Michigan was fourth in my special teams SP plus ratings. It took like the worst special team performance of the Jim Harbaugh era for them to not win by, you know, one to two scores in regulation. They were the superior team. I missed the, all the debriefs on that. I was distracted after that game. I missed the debriefs on that. Did, did, did he give – was there some press conference time on that? Has someone written the piece? Is there going to be an explanation for what exactly the hell was going on with their punt return team? Oh my God. Yeah. No, I mean, he even had, you know, his hands guy in at the very, very end. And he almost, he almost muffed a punt for a safety in the final minute of regulation. Okay. Fine. Muffing it is one thing, but trying to feel the dang thing on the five yard line is another. It's like, yeah, you're not, you're not, no, yeah. Just get out of the way. You're not doing anything with the ball that last 30 seconds, but no, I, I, it was, it was mind blowing. And, um, and I'm empowered at Michigan for basically saying, you know what, we will sacrifice our great special teams unit just to prove how superior, but (laughs) right. But no, it, it was, um, you know, teams teams do change over time. And the fact that Michigan was number one in SP Plus, now they're number two because the, the model saw Georgia beat Florida State by 60. Georgia oh must be amazing. Oh, and they're no, number you can't, one no, no, we can't update based on that. We can't update based on the Bulls this year I know. But um, but no, I mean, the, the model saw that this was a different Michigan team and it turned out that this was a different Michigan team. And, and that was that was good. We can't just rely on tropes uh, and, and two games a year or whatever. Right. I mean, you know, in college football, there, there is an institutional factor and it, you, it shows up in priors mattering a lot in a model. Yeah. There does seem to be just 
carryover if, you know, beyond coaching even for some institutions. <laughs> and, and so it's hard to know how much weight to put on that, but this you're, you're, you're talking about it that way illustrates that models are stories and stories. Yep. We can, we can model any story. You give me a story. I can turn around a bill and he can write down a model for it. You want, you want, you want the quarterback to be the most important factor. Great. We can separate that out from the offense and we can put a lot of weight on that. Yep. You think what matters really here is that that supposedly great Washington offensive line has never faced such a strong defensive line. Of is great. <laughs> right. We'll take that matchup and we'll, we'll put those next to each other. And we'll, that's an interaction term and we'll put some weight on it. Yep. And now we've modeled your story, but we've also made a more complicated model. Yeah. And man, that's a beautiful story. It doesn't make for a great predictive model in most cases. I, I thought it was really interesting too, you know, for all I could say about how Michigan ranks the first in my defensive ratings and this and that, they're the best team overall. They got to the end of the season. They got through 13 games without really having played a single mobile quarterback. And because this is college football and we get 12 or 13 games instead of 82 or 162 or whatever, we had no idea if that was a thing or not. There was absolutely no way of telling if that mattered or not. And in the end, it, yeah. I mean, it kind of did. Melrose had some good runs, but in the end, they they held Alabama to exactly what was projected in terms of uh, Alabama's offensive production. So it, you know, took Michigan, ma- it took Michigan's offense overtime to hit the offensive production or projection, but it nailed the defensive projection. So I thought that was cool and i thought it was cool that you know everybody was bagging on michigan's schedule well we adjust for opponent in these models there are 14 kajillion ways to do it but you still you're not just looking at raw numbers and saying hey this defense must be great you're adjusting for opponent and the fact that they were still number one mattered okay so let's do a couple of specifics about these games and then let's transition to the final which is coming up a week from yesterday um i i, I saw this stat somewhere and it troubled me greatly it might have come from your from your column, but if if I could flip one stat and have confidence in turning over the outcome of the game, the Texas Washington game yesterday, it would have been this stat: the number of starts going to the game for the two quarterbacks. Penix had forty eight starts, or that was going to be his forty eighth. I forget which. Ewers, twenty two, and. College football is a place where an, exper- an experienced quarterback of some level, it doesn't have to be great, but he can't mm-hmm. be poor, but of, co- of course he can't be poor, but some level starting quarterback is a real difference maker. And if, if you, how do you think that game would have gone differently? If yours, we'll never see him with 48 college starts, but if we did, yours mm-hmm. with 48 starts, Penix with 22, we saw him with 22. We can go back and look at it. Different uh, uh, agility guy, but all the same. My claim is that's the one factor that you could be quite <laughs> confident would have flipped the game. But so um, if we're looking for if you're looking for storylines to hang your hat on, I think in college football experience, quarterback is a pretty good one. Yeah. And it's and that's also a fun balance because the experience, the most experienced guys are usually good, but that's not right. amazing. Otherwise, right. they would have left after two years. But, um, say, but Bill, on this point, there's an interaction. God, I, I'm, you know, this is the thing. You could pull right into the complicated <laughs> stories. There's an interaction with this, you know, experience and say the type of quarterback. So a real dual threat yep. quarterback can do a lot more damage as a freshman than a <laughs> traditional quarterback can do as a freshman. Yep. So that experience factor is more important for the traditional guys because a lot of it's just knowing the system being able to get through the progressions having been able to call out of getting getting out of bad plays at the line of scrimmage all that kind of stuff mm. but then Penix is, is more than that Penix is, is oh, something yeah. about that real-time playmaking it's just unbelievable 
Yeah, his um, I mean, Penix ended up being kind of a unicorn because of his injury, his massive injury list. He didn't go. He's still around. And, and you know, even after last year, his draft stock wasn't he had a spectacular year, but his draft stock really he still could have gone if he wanted to. There was something pulling him back. Um, But, yeah, I mean, if he was this good in 2019 as a whatever he was then in Indiana, sophomore, red, whatever he was. Um, if he was this spectacular, then he would have already been gone. But it took kind of that mix of injuries. And, and meanwhile, he just got better. Uh, he got smarter. He got healthier. Uh, you could tell yesterday, too, um, you know, November, Michael Penix Jr. was banged up. And it's, one, you know, it's state mm-hmm. secrets now with injuries. So it was just mm-hmm. rumors on the Internet. Like his, he had a bad rib, rib injury against Oregon mm-hmm. and all this. We didn't really know what we were dealing with. But you watched November Penix and then you watched yesterday's Penix bouncing around in the pocket, um, you know, just <laughs> looking like he has good ribs and and good torque. He was an unbelievable quarterback yesterday. Quinn Ewers wasn't even bad. He started, obviously his his early numbers weren't amazing, but he really played his way into the game. You could say maybe that was part of the experience thing is it took him a while to find the rhythm. Um, but he's still, I mean, 318 yards. He didn't really throw too many like dangerous passes. That's been kind of the thing with Ewers even this year is once or twice per half, he's going to get baited into something he probably shouldn't try. Um, and he got away with it a lot more this year. He was better at that than, he, you know, last year is just halfway through the season opponents started figuring out, Oh, you can trick him with a B and C. And then, then he was very, very ineffective, but this, he was still, his decision-making was still kind of coming along. I thought his decision-making was really good yesterday. It was just, he could not hold a candle to Michael Penix Jr. And he wasn't, Penix wasn't getting pressured at all because that offensive line knows how to, how to, how to pass protect like crazy. Well, a couple of things real quickly on that one on Penix props to the Washington staff for running him in the second half because yeah. they hadn't been able to run. They couldn't run on any other way. Nobody expected them to run Penix because he mm-hmm. has been injured and in, in this year he's been hurt. So you haven't seen it. It was a valuable tool late in the game. These, oh, yeah. these, these quarterback draws. If you had to allocate weight across the four principal units on the football, passing, rushing, offense, defense, Mm-hmm. In some model, I said mo- stories can be models. Models are stories. <laughs> We're telling a story about what's most important. Yeah. And so I'm asking you to allocate weights to the coefficients on those four factors. We're going to take, you know, take each team or take the difference in each team or whatever you want. But you got four weights on rushing offense, rushing defense, passing offense, passing defense. Okay. Relative importance of those four units in predicting a football game. And the real question is, how much bigger is passing offense than everything else? And the reason I'm saying all this, of course, is because Washington has dramatically better passing offense than Michigan does. Yep. Well, and and I mean, obviously, I think the weights are applicable to the game, to, to the game at hand, because, you know, every team's different and Michigan will run the ball more than most. Uh, So in this game, I think the most important units are going to be um, we're going to say Michigan's pass defense, which the whole, like the whole, how, how they choose to try to get to Penix is the number one question I have in this game. Not even does it work, but how do you even go about it when nobody touches him, but they can pretty much touch anybody in the backfield. Yeah. Like yeah. How, how they go right. about that is going to yes. be really, really interesting. But I would yep. say Michigan's pass defense, Washington's run defense. Yeah. Uh, is more is going to be more important than Washington's pass defense, and that's a problem because their pass defense is better than their run defense. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, it, it is different here. I, I understand the the argument 
clearly that Penix is better than McCarthy. And like I said, I love this Washington team. So I hope that makes a difference. And the argument that globally, not this matchup, but globally, pass offense is the most important factor. More in the pros now. More in the pros. Yes, more in the pros. But yeah, clearly it still matters. I I, I do think McCarthy's good. And I do think he was also hurt at the end of the year. And they still scored more than most on the best defenses in the country at the end of the year. So, I mean, I, 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 Michigan's really, really, really good is what I'm saying. And, I, and McCarthy's really good. Penix is better. But I think that doesn't flip the edge to Washington. I think it's still. Yeah. Did uh, you say? Did you say in your column that you thought if the matchups were differently, you were going to take the winner? You were going to take. Yeah. yeah you were going to take the winner this game to win no matter what. I, right? I'm going to keep one point, At one point you did. Yeah, basically I said, um, because I couldn't decide between Michigan or Alabama, I felt heading into the semis, Texas had the best odds of the title. Uh, But once that winner was settled, I was going to pick the winner of Michigan, Alabama over whoever beat Texas. Oh, you went the other way. Okay. 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 So, but yeah, no, I mean, and and that's pretty much what happened. I think Michigan's the best team, therefore they're going to win. But Penix is, uh, if he plays like, if he bottles that up and we see that again, and he's not getting hit a lot, which... I mean, there's no reason to think he will be because he had an all year. They're going to have a really good chance. All right. Well, it should be fun unless their line does to Washington what they did against Alabama. In that case, the game's going to be over because they're going oh, to be. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, if, if Penix is hurried, they're not going to be able to lean on the run, especially if Dylan Johnson's hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be pretty bad because Michigan is very good at the sit on you, wait for the field to tilt, and then maul you completely. Yeah, and deep. talk about an offensive coordinator who's not afraid to hit the button that works over and over and over <laughs> yes. again. I mean, yeah. I, well, I want to see what the over under is for the number of rushing yards, Michigan rushing yards in this game. It's going to yeah. be a large number. All right, Bill. Well, we did exactly what we probably shouldn't have done. I spent the whole show with <laughs> you. Um, thanks for being with us here on this uh, beautiful second day of 2024. We wish you a happy 2024, Bill. We love the work you're doing. We wish everybody would pay more attention to it. They're already paying a lot of attention to it. But have fun with it, and we'll talk with you very soon. Sounds good. All right. We appreciate you guys listening. For the whole crew here, Eric Bradlow in absentia, Adi Weiner in absentia, Shane Jensen, who's been with me here throughout, Matty D for the boss man for running us, keeping us tight, and Deion Simpkins, of course, for all that you do for getting us on here. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next time.